Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. Hostage negotiation skills resonate on every person, regardless of culture, gender, or ethnicity. And it works with everybody. And that's why it works in every aspect of business. Because, you know, something's under siege, something's under threat in every business deal. Somebody wants to either want to take something from you or you think they do. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's podcast is part one of a two-part interview with Chris and Brandon Voss, co-authors of the best-selling book on business negotiation, Never Split the Difference. The book teaches how to approach business negotiations using the same techniques that Chris learned from decades working as an FBI hostage negotiator. I can vouch for its effectiveness personally, having listened to the book from start to finish three years ago. I probably use its principles in our business every day. As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and six to eight weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil-based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. After FireTrace stops a fire, its system quickly rearms and you can have your machine back up and running in as little as 45 minutes. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. I am just super psyched today to be with Chris Voss and Brandon Voss of Black Swan. They are the co-writers of uh, Never Split the Difference. It is an amazing book about negotiating. I have listened to it cover to cover and um, really used the the principles um, in my life and in our business. Chris He'll fill us all in more, but he is an ex-FBI hostage negotiator. And Brandon, he has worked one-on-one with Graf Pinkert, giving us advice on, uh, on deals and dealing with interesting scenarios with customers. And I, this, is, this is just fantastic having you both on. So thank you for coming on the show. And to get started... I want to tell people about what Black Swan is, and then I want to get, you know, the backstory before starting Black Swan and, and how you got into negotiating, Chris, maybe a few good stories. And then uh, I have lots of questions for both of you. Can't wait to fire away, maybe do some role playing. So who wants to jump in? What is Black Swan? Well, I was originally in an Irish folk band named Black Sean, and we just decided, you know, to switch over. (laughs) 
No, you know, actually, you know, so, so forgive me. Whenever I'm typing it up on my phone, you know, the S and the, uh, the W and E are really close together. So, you know, about half the time I'll, I'll try to type Black Swan and it'll get Black Sean. I think, you know, maybe it's a fallback position. Irish folk band. We got to get you a cup of coffee, brother. I mean, we just have to. <laughs> Why do I look like I'm up. all like, gotta, am- I'm, I'm already amped up. Keep up. <laughs> you, you can use some FM radio DJ voice and disarm me, make me, make, calm me down. Sir, so you're scared now. I'm not. Sounds like you're scared. You labeling? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now you get up to speed. Excellent. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So. Uh, give me the scoop. What What do you guys do? We make sure you don't leave money on the table. That's pretty much it, huh, Brian? Yeah, in, in, in a nutshell, we're, we're the company that'll make sure you no longer leave money on the table. And in, in addition to that, I mean, we provide a reliable framework for difficult conversations that can be adapted for any circumstance. Mm-hmm. And we play Irish folk music. Okay, okay. <laughs> what instrument... Theoretically, do you play in this Irish folk music band? I play a very traditional instrument, Irish instrument, the bongos. Okay. <laughs> Are you Irish? Would you, would you, yeah, I am. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. Okay. Very, very, quite, quite a bit Irish. All right, so I know I'm, I'm, destro- I'm destroying the interview here. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's cool. <laughs> where, where did we come from? All right, so I was an FBI hostage negotiator. And uh, Brian happened to be in the same house. He was under, he was under the, under my tutelage from a very young age. You know, and it was and I worked terrorism. It's really interesting. Um, you know, he's got the ability to really absorb stuff, and he was absorbing it. I mean, I did not intentionally teach him the stuff, but he was very aware of what I was doing. Much more aware than I ever realized. I can remember when I was working terrorism, we had to put, we did something straight out of the movies. We flew a terrorist out of a detention center to a black site real early on a Sunday morning once. And I had to disappear for about a month. And just before I got ready to leave the house uh, early in the morning, I remember, you know, I went into his bedroom and woke him up. I said, look, I got to go. We're putting a guy in protective custody. And he asked me, uh, if it was a blind shake. And I was like, I didn't even know he knew who the blind shake was. What is a blind shake? A uh, blind shake was leader of, uh, was the arbiter, the leader, the approver of some terrorist acts that happened in New York City and other places around the world. And he happened to be living in New Jersey. And he, he was he was kind of the John Gotti of terrorism at the time, Islamic terrorists. And we got him on conspiracy. And one of, one of the people that reported to him flipped as a witness. So uh, got ready to move this guy, and and that was you know, uh, you know the point I'm trying to make is Brand was absorbing this stuff that was going on in my life that I didn't realize, including hostage negotiations. How old were you when that happened? That he was probably about eight or nine. Yeah, I was gonna say I had to be seven. I had to be seven or eight around that time. We're talking like '93, right? Seven yeah, or eight. yeah, 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 yeah. We moved that guy in '94, so that would have been before your ninth birthday. Yeah. You know, then, of course, he's absorbing this stuff. And, you know, flash forward a few years, he starts using hostage negotiation techniques to disarm agitated adversaries, which were, you know, mostly vice principals and disciplinarians in his high school. <laughs> so he's good. At- if he got in trouble for it, did you like he came home and you pat him on the back and you said, no, I didn't find out about it because he because he diffused all his problems when he was at school. Never, never got back to me. 
I find I find out about this stuff after the fact. Okay. Okay. So I get I get ready to get out of the FBI, and um, as I'm getting out, and I start teaching. Uh, initially, you know, I had him there to help me videotape classes, and but he was he was always there as a sounding board. So every bit of sort of adapting hostage negotiation into the business world, you know, since I trusted him and since he knew this stuff, he was there every step of the way. Mm-hmm. I taught a class at Harvard with a friend of mine, John Richardson, and, and Brand came up and helped teach that certain classes. There were, there were parts of it that he specialized in. And then I started teaching in Georgetown. He was part of that operation. And so then when it came time to write the book, we put the book together together with Tall Roz. Tall Roz is the genius business book writer on earth. I mean, any business book that Tall Roz name is on is worth reading. Everything he touches. Tall Roz. T-A-H-L. Tall, like rhymes with Paul, but he's in his, it's an Israeli name. R-A-Z. Okay. I used, to, I, used to, I like to tease him. I call him Tall Raz Al Ghul, you know, Raz Al Ghul, the Batman character. And, but anyway, again, you know, I'm on coffee and you're not. So we're going to, this is going to go all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, so Brandon Tall and I wrote the book together. And, and the book is the best selling business negotiation book on earth. It's in 30 countries in 27 languages. Because it works globally, it works with human beings. That was the whole point of talk, bringing it out from hostage negotiation skills. Is hostage negotiation skills resonate on every person, regardless of culture, gender, or ethnicity. Yeah. And it works with everybody. And that's why it works in every aspect of business. Because, you know, something's under siege, something's under threat in every business deal. Somebody wants, that either wants to take something from you or you think they do. Yeah. Or you feel stressed. I had a friend of mine once say, if you feel stressed at any level, you've been taken hostage. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graph Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. So I, I want to go through a few things, um, and then maybe you can give a few good anecdotes of... Have you got an ankle bracelet on? Do I have an ankle bracelet on? Right. Why am I? Am I? The condition of your parole. <laughs> Brandon, is he always like this? You know, especially in the morning. He's, you know, when he wakes up and it's morning time. You know, you got to be ready for the singers because he's gonna throw them at you. Okay. You first cup of coffee. You know, I still, I still got a lot of gas in the tank. Early. <laughs> <laughs> Now you see the hell that was his life. 
with him and he had, he had to face this every morning. His senior year in high school was horrible. I, he's, <laughs> he's, still, he's still in therapy over that. So is he going to make fun of you, Brandon, more than me during this uh, thing? Probably, you know, your, probably your guess me. Is as good as mine. Your, your guess is as good as mine. I think we're we're both in in uh, in the line of fire at this point. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's 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 get started a little bit into the the fundamentals. Mirroring, labeling, it's a fave. One of you guys, why don't you explain mirroring and labeling, and and then Chris, maybe you can. Bring up. Shut up. A, you want me to just shut up at this point? Shut right? up, or or bring up a time <laughs> where, like, you know, you were in the field and and uh, how it was able to help you in in the negotiation. So one of you guys ju- jump in first. Explain mirroring and labeling, and then and then I, Chris, if you have some kind of some kind of uh, anecdote, that would be great. Well, I, I can do the quick rundown of the definitions of those. I mean, they're pretty straightforward. I mean, a, a label is a verbal observation and we contend that that verbal observation should start with the words it seems like it sounds like it looks like or it feels like Mm -hmm. and then a mirror you know most people uh, misconstrue the mirror with the body language technique of mirroring body language right they cross their arms you cross your arms you know they lean to the side you lean to the side uh, but our, our version of mirroring is much more focused on the verbal interaction. And it's simply a repetition of the last one to three words that someone has just said. And so what's the, what's the point of these, right? Why, why has it become a favorite for Noah? Why has it become a favorite for Noah? Exactly. I, I think there's a lot of reasons. And, and you could probably shed some light on those as well. And, and the reality is... The reality, and, and for those for our listeners, Noah just did a great mirror on me. For those of you, if you missed it, right? But the reality is, it uh, the label and the mirror technique do a great job helping you sound out your counterpart, helping you helping you figure out where they are. Exactly, exactly. How do you get important. a really good feel for their perspective? or how they see the world and labeling and mirroring them is a great way to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. Chris, I heard you on another podcast and you, you were talking about the, the mirroring and how you used it to tell how far somebody would go. Like if somebody was helpless or not, if, if it was, if something really was impossible or not, can you explain about that? Yeah, well, and you did, first of all, you did a great, great paraphrase of Brandon a second ago. And paraphrasing is a tough skill. A lot of people aren't good at it. So um, I, I thought it was great that you did that. But the mirrors and the labels, they kind of hit the brain in different ways. Now, one of the two is going to unlock the other side's thinking. It's going to get them rolling. It's going get, to get, get what's in their head out in a fashion that doesn't make them feel attacked. So they're going to be they're going to be honest. They're going to be unguarded. You're going to get information out of them without diminishing rapport. Most of the time, when you're pulling information out of somebody, it's as a result of questions they feel interrogated. It diminishes rapport, and the mirrors and the labels will hit somebody's brain a little bit differently. And one or the other or the combination is going to get people talking, find out where they are. Just exactly what you said a minute ago, and. You know, we're basically ahead of neuroscience. Um, neuroscience is backed up. Every time there's been a neuroscience experiment that explains our stuff, 
it validates it. So we're ahead of it. I can't tell you for sure, uh, neuroscience-wise, neurochemical-wise, what exactly happens with all mirrors and labels, why mm -hmm. they hit the brain differently. But they're going to get you talking, and they're going to get you blurting stuff out in, in, in an unguarded fashion. And most of the time, somebody blurts something out unguarded, they regret it. And that diminishes rapport. Well, there's something about mirrors and labels that don't cause any of that regret. So you're gonna have a great conversation with me. You're gonna, you're gonna let me know where you are and how you feel about how things are going. And then also, if I'm a little worried about, are you, are you needing all your bluffing? Or yeah. are you really backed into a corner? The mirror is gonna be one of the great ways to get you to expand because I'll repeat one to three words of what you just said. And you'll expand and you'll give me a lot more information and tell me where you are by what you said. You know, the saying in hostage negotiation, what's it going to take to get the bad guy out in business? What's it going to take to get the other side to make a deal? In a hostage negotiation, we'd say, well, he'll tell you. You just got to do more than ask. In business negotiation, you'll tell me, but I've got to do something other than ask to find out what it's going to take to make the deal. It's probably going to be mirrors and labels. It's going to get you talking. Yeah. Well, I mean, like last week, we were trying to get a quotation on moving a machine out of a factory. And basically, this we went to this rigger who was in charge of moving the equipment. And he had this very high price. Um, it seemed high to us. It was, I don't know. So, say it's $5,000. And I was trying to, you know, do anything I could to, you know, and all I, I, you know, so I was mirroring, I was labeling, I was like, well, it, it sounds like it's a lot of effort to do this. It sounds like, it sounds like you've got a, you know, it's going to take a lot of time to do this, whatever. And, and he's like, yeah, I was trying to get him to like lower the price. And I was just kind of like, he's just like, yeah, that's the price. And I was like, well, it sounds like there's nothing you can do. And he said, no, there's nothing I can do. And then I was just kind of like, all right, well, I guess there's nothing they can do. But then later, I actually did my own homework and talked to somebody else. And they told me, oh, well, you could do it this way and you could do it this way. And then I went back to him. But the case was, what do you do in a case where you need something and there really isn't anything they can do? Like, I guess, I guess you're skilled at figuring out how far they'll go. Well, my assessment of that interaction, and Brand, I, I ask you what you think, but you know, I, I think Noah did a great job pushing this guy to his limit without making the guy blow up. Well, you didn't see it, but <laughs> did he yell at you? No, he was just sort of cold, and he said, "I already got the price down," which was a you know a, a trick, I guess, saying that. Yeah, Brand, what do you think? Well, I, I agree with you. I think. You know, based on what you told us, no, I think you did a nice job sounding him out. And probably the only thing that I would add to that as a last stitch effort would be, you know, after your labels and mirrors, doing an accusations audit combined with a calibrated question that's designed to very gently make your ass. What's an accusation audit? Yeah, no, great question. So the accusations audit is a tactical empathy approach that is designed to eliminate any negative emotions or negative thoughts on the other side, generally before you make an ask 
or you deliver bad news. Now, in this case, you're making an ask. Your ask is to get the price lower. And the accusations audit would consist of, you know, what you were just mentioning earlier about all the things that he's gone out of his way to do, which in his mind justifies why he shouldn't give you a break on the price. You know, he already went out of his way to get it down to where it's at. Yeah. He's being generous with his time by entertaining the conversation with you at all. He probably deals with people all the time that look just like you that are trying to beat his price down on his delivery. You know, all of those things. And that's how you start. Like, man, you know, I, I bet you're probably tired of uh, dealing with people like me. You know, yeah. you've already you spent a bunch of time. You've been extremely generous with your time. You've been helpful. You've done everything you can to get us to the point that we are now. I'd imagine you're probably sick of having this conversation with everyone you speak to. How bad of a position do I put you in by asking you to come down on a price some more? Yeah. And so the labels and mirrors are great. And then just following it up with that. All right, but then he says, I can't go down because he knows he's the only game in town, too. And he's already gone through all this stuff to, like, measure everything and get an estimate. And he knows he's kind of got us. Well, I just, I'll actually jump in. I'll stop you right there. Yeah, stop me. Everything that you just mentioned are also pieces that need to go in your accusations audit. Because you just very accurately described that guy's point of view. He knows he's the only game in town. He's done all this work getting the measurements done. He's already put in a bunch of time. For all intents and purposes, you already owe him money for the time he's put in. So right? he's, he's got to make up for that time because you got to pay for the work that he's already done. And so that would all go in there. So you would tell him. Yes. So you would say, you would then just sort of say that. Like, I, I know you, you know that you have me. You're saying you would spit that back at him. Yeah, exactly. I would I would probably say something along the line. There's several ways you could word it, but what comes to mind is, you know, I know that you're the only game in town, right? You are the guy that does this stuff. This is your operation. And I'd add in those other things about being sick of people trying to beat them down on price. And I'd probably even throw in a humorous piece that's also very true in his mind. And being a guy, you could probably say this is like, you know what? I imagine you probably feel like you got me by the short and curlies. Like, I'd throw that into my accusations. I, I know you're the only game in town. I know you've put all this work in. I know you're sick of de- dealing with people like me trying to beat you down on your price. Right. You probably even feel like you got me by the short and curves. Right. And I, I remember, like, in the book, you, you guys talk about when you're dealing with airline people, that that's a really good thing to do because they're so used to people fetching at them. And then when you come in and you do that, we would contend that it's that's a good approach if you're dealing with anyone that's in some sort of customer service seat. If they deal with customer service in any way and the guy you're just describing deals in customer service, whether or not he's actually bubbly and friendly as he deals in customer service is another thing. But the fact is he's a customer service guy, airline people, are customer service people, anybody that's that works at that capacity, first of all, is used to getting beat down by everyone they speak to. And so starting by identifying, I know this is what you see on a regular basis and you're probably looking at me the same way is a great way to start. That's a great way to negate that thought in their mind, right? This guy's going to hold back because he's like, you're just like everyone else I talk to. You know, I'm the only game in town. You know, I'm an expert at doing this. You know, you got to come to me to get this done and you get the nerve to walk through my door and talk to me about me lowering my price. 
Okay. Now that's what's in his head. So you got to beat him to the punch on being able to articulate that stuff. So it takes the thought process out of his brain altogether. All right. Well, I, maybe I'll, I'll have to go back to him a little bit more with that. Couldn't hurt. All right. Anchoring. This is, this is something that everybody in business is dealing with. Chris, explain anchoring. Yeah, well, we look at it a couple of different ways. Um, so first of all, our academic brothers and sisters are going to tell you to come out with an extreme offer right off the bat. Now, it's, what's really important about what I just said about that is it's the academics that tell you that. Uh-huh. Now, the majority, not all, the majority of the advanced practitioners believe he or she who names price first loses. He or she who names price first loses. Right. The majority, again, not all, but the majority of the top tier players live by that. What does that mean? That means they ain't anchoring. They're not going with the number first. Now, somebody who, who, who refuses to go with the number first is, is a secure negotiator. Okay, but what, what happens when both people don't want to give a number first? And one question at a time here. Now. Like, what happens when uh, Casey Jack Daniels falls out of a passing airplane, lands in your pool in the backyard? All right, we gotta, You know, we, we got to get there. So, first of all, don't, don't go first. Here's a great way to analyze it. See, academics are saying one thing, and you got enough data that tells you the majority of the top-tier negotiators and who, who practitioners say he or she who names price first loses. Then those are, those are two different ideas simultaneously. What makes an academic, uh, and there's actually an academic study that says you should, you should go first. Academic studies are based on laboratory experiments and sterile environments that are not the real world. Now, there are a lot of business people that want to name a price first. Every time they named a price first, they got a great deal. Well, they forget about the number of times they named a price first and the other side turned and walked away. The great practitioners understand that extreme anchors drive deals away from the table. And, they, and you're, if you're a negotiator, Brandon and I hate not making deals. And we think it's really stupid for us to have driven a deal from the table by taking an extreme position when we should have made the deal. We should have explored it. We should have found out what the other side could have thrown on the table. Right. So so if you let them start, at least you're going to start something rather than just scare them away. It's information. Their first price is information. How do you know that they're not going to start out with a price that was better than what you would have asked for in the first place? I don't care what percentage of time that is. I'm not willing to give those dollars up as a starting point. You may come up with a number that, that was higher than what I wanted or better for me than what I wanted. I want to make that happen because then it's an opportunity. It was your idea. You're more likely to stick to that if I get you to, to fight for that price. So then you're much more invested. You're going you're gonna to execute. So we, we don't believe in, in higher anchoring. Now, there are other things that we do, but uh, you know, throwing out an extreme position to start with is, is not something we believe in. On the next episode of Swarfcast. So the, the commanders I'm working for say, when is this going to be over? And I'll say, when the bad guys feel like they've gotten the best deal they can. Mm-hmm. Not when they got the best deal they could, when they felt like it. Yes. We're talking about kidnappers feeling. As soon as they feel it was a good deal. That's exactly what you described. You get somebody looking to buy from you they got to feel like they got a good deal. They got to feel like they work for it. They got to feel like they fought for it. Otherwise, they'll be unhappy. Exactly.
From today's machining world, this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com.